beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you missed gathering together as church to worship God? It's now been five weeks since we've been able to gather together in public worship. There are times when we miss coming to church because of illness or travel. But there's many of us who have never missed more than a month of church ever before in our lives. We understand that there are good reasons for not assembling together at this time. We respect our government's instructions to practice social distancing to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. We're so thankful that we have technology available that allows us to worship through the live feed. But we don't have to like it. I miss bringing the gospel to you as congregation and seeing you feed on the Word of God. I'm pretty sure that you miss actually assembling together to sit under the preaching. I don't know how you're faring with singing via the live feed. It's sure nothing like lifting our voices in communal praise to God. Part of coming to church is gathering in the presence of the Lord and enjoying fellowship with his people. It's different sitting as family around a screen. Worship is not the same as when we're able to gather together communally. Do you understand why that is, beloved? The church is not a building. It is an assembly of true Christian believers. Part of worship is gathering together. When we gather together in the name of the Lord, he is in the midst of us. The writer of Hebrews used this image to describe gathering together in corporate worship. He says that we draw near to God. We enter behind the curtain. We go boldly into the holy places by the new and living way opened for us by Christ. He says that in gathering and worship, we come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable number of angels in festal gathering. Christian corporate worship is a meeting of heaven and earth, of time and eternity. Our live stream services are but a pale imitation of the riches of corporate worship. It grieves us not to be able to come together on Sundays. But we're not alone in missing the opportunity to gather with God's people and come into his presence. David experienced that for a number of years when King Saul was trying to kill him when he had to hide out. Israel experienced that when they were taken into captivity and when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. Persecuted brothers and sisters around the world and throughout time have lamented their inability to gather together in worship. Those who are sick, immunocompromised, elderly, or in jail have often been prevented from assembling with God's people. Not being able to gather for worship takes a toll on us. To use contemporary language, it really sucks. It causes us grief. We earnestly desire close fellowship with God 
And the richest way of experiencing that is taken away from us. It can result in our soul being cast down within us. God has created us as worshiping beings. He has made us to live in communion with one another. Not being able to experience that full communion with God and His people grates on us. It can make us depressed. So how do we deal with that? How do we go forward in a time when our full communion with God and His people is disrupted? This morning we'll turn to Psalm 42 for direction. I preach to you the Word of God under the following theme. When despairing and not being able to appear before God in worship, the psalmist puts his hope in God. We'll consider our thirst for the living God and our hope in our gracious Savior. Psalm 42 begins with the words, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. The psalmist uses the image of a deer panting for flowing streams. Israel had a climate that was quite dry at certain times of the year. Water is not abundant in the land. It's well known that a thirsty deer will search for life-giving water. When a deer finds it, it'll cast itself in a stream to drink. In the same way, the psalmist says that his soul pants for God. His soul thirsts for the living God. With ardent desire, he wants to draw near to God to experience his life-renewing presence again. So what's the psalmist's problem? He expresses a central issue facing him in verse 2 of our text. There he asks, When shall I come and appear before God? Seems like the psalmist has been forced to be absent from Jerusalem and from the temple courts. In verse 6, he speaks of remembering God from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. While we don't know the exact location he's speaking of, it's beyond the Jordan River, to the north and the east, somewhere around the Mount Hermon range of mountains. Miser means little hill. So he may have been on one of the lesser mounts surrounding Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is located on the northern end of Israel, about 200 kilometers from Jerusalem. On a clear day, it was one of the last points from which one could glimpse the hills around the holy city while journeying north. Some suggest that the psalmist may have been one of the Levites in David's company when fleeing from his rebel son Absalom. Others suggest that he may have been one of the Jews being deported to exile in Babylon, expressing his last sigh before the temple vanished from his sight. To me, some of the particulars mentioned in the psalm fit very well with the exile to Babylon. What is clear is that the psalmist was one of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were a clan of Levites employed in the sacred music of the temple. They also kept the temple gates and were guardians of the Ark of the Covenant. It's interesting to note that their father was Korah, who led a rebellion of 250 leaders against Moses. 
While Korah and his followers were struck down by God, the Bible makes it plain that the sons of Korah did not die. Obviously, they did not follow their father in his rebellion. The sons of Korah wrote 12 of the Psalms. In their Psalms, they frequently express devotion to the temple courts as the place where God's face could be seen. As Levites in charge of making music and guarding the temple, their devotion to God is beautifully expressed in Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 42 is the first of eight psalms in book two of the psalms. They're focused on living in communion with God, especially as that was experienced in worshiping him in the tabernacle and temple. So what we see happening in our text is that the sons of Korah have written a lament. And they lament the fact that it was not possible for them to experience close fellowship with God in the temple anymore. They miss that fellowship dearly. It causes them deep grief and sorrow. The psalmist says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? The psalmist's heart is stricken by his inability to come to worship God in the temple. And his enemies rub salt in the wounds, asking him where his God was and why God wasn't helping him. As the psalmist pours out his soul before God, he remembers the past. He remembers how he used to go with the throngs and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Some of the Jews would assemble at the temple each day for the morning and the evening sacrifices. Yet there were special feasts when each Israelite was commanded to come before God in the temple at Jerusalem. Those were festive occasions when they remembered God's deliverance from Egypt, when they celebrated God's goodness in blessing them with crops. Just imagine, beloved, the joy of having people from all over the land assembling together to praise and worship God. People gathered from far and wide. As they went up to Jerusalem, the roads got busier and busier. In those days, most people walked, and as they walked, they often sang. There's a series of psalms that are titled, The Songs of Ascent. These psalms were sung on the way as the people passed through the hills to travel up to Mount Zion. Thousands upon thousands of people converged on Jerusalem. It was filled with mighty throngs of people, people who had come together to worship God to sing his praises, to enjoy fellowship with God and with each other. They were the glory days. The psalmist remembers them well. But now he's far away, in exile, in a foreign land. The Babylonians had come and had carried many people away into exile. Later they'd gone back to Jerusalem and destroyed the city, breaking down its walls. They had raised the temple to the ground. There was nothing left of it. 
It was incomprehensible to the Jews that God had allowed them, his covenant people, to be exiled. And the temple, his dwelling place, to be destroyed. It was heartbreaking for the sons of Korah that the place where they had served as, mu- as musicians and temple guards was no more. The psalmist expresses that. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. These words form a refrain in Psalms 42 and 43. They're repeated three times. Psalm 42, verse 5 and 11. Psalm 43, verse 5. This refrain shows the psalmist's state. His soul was downcast, deeply disturbed within him. You could say that he was spiritually depressed. You understand why the psalmist was struggling with depression? It seemed to him that God was so far removed from him. The living God seemed dead. The joy he formerly had in communion with God had shriveled up and disappeared. And you know how that happened, beloved? Psalmist was prevented from appearing before God to worship him. God has created us as worshiping people. Everyone has someone or something that they worship in life. As God-fearing people, we worship the living God of heaven and earth. As Christians, we worship and adore Christ for his redeeming work. But even those who don't know God or who who don't serve the Lord Jesus will worship something. John Calvin once famously said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. Every person who lives will find someone or something to make into a God in his or her life. Maybe money, or power, or popularity, or sex, or alcohol, or drugs, or whatever. But every human heart will worship someone or something. Not being able to gather in worship affects us. We miss coming together in communal fellowship with God. We miss gathering together as the body of Christ, enjoying fellowship with one another. It hurts us not to be able to lift up our voices together in song, praising God. Worship's not quite the same when we follow a live stream at home. Like the psalmist, we begin to thirst for God. We earnestly desire to come, to appear before him. And when we can't, then like the psalmist, we begin to suffer from anxiety and depression. Depression is something that's hard to explain to people who have never experienced it. When asked, what is depression like? One person described it in this way. She said, it's like drowning. Except everyone around you is breathing. The psalmist says something similar. In verse 7 he writes about how all God's breakers and waves 
have gone over him. Often those who are depressed feel isolated. They feel like they're getting dragged into the ocean by the strong tug of the undertow. They feel helpless, dull, leaden, unable to move. They feel like their body is getting dragged down to the cold depths of the ocean floor and that there's nothing they can do to escape. They feel like their lives are out of control. There's nothing they can do to take control again. They feel all alone, like no one understands, like nothing will ever get better again. Beloved, I hope that our social distancing rules are not getting you down. For most of us, it's only been a little more than a month since we've been prevented from gathering in worship and from experiencing communal fellowship together. But for some, it's been much longer. Think of those who suffer chronic illness or who are immunosuppressed. Not only are they wiped out physically, but they're also often isolated. It is a bitter experience not being able to fellowship with God and with one another. It's even harder when it seems like no one understands. Part of our struggle is also often with God. We know God is almighty. He can do anything. We know that God is a deeply loving and caring God. If that's true, and it is, then how do you explain the Babylonian exile? How do you explain the trials and the adversity that we at times face in our lives? The psalmist struggled with these things too. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? It's often the hardest part of dealing with struggles in our lives. Often our soul is disquieted within us because we struggle with how and why God is at work in our lives. Having considered our thirst for the living God and the struggles we face in not being able to come and appear before Him, we come to our second point. And it will consider our hope in our gracious Savior. Psalm 42 presents us with a person who's spiritually depressed. The psalmist's soul is downcast, deeply disturbed within him. Yet he does not acquiesce in his condition. He doesn't accept the status quo. He questions himself about his despondency. He directs himself to trust in God. There's a battle going on in the psalmist's soul. He faces questions, struggles, inner depression, and yet he battles against this. Consider the, the refrain of our psalm. He asks, why are you downcast on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? And then he directs himself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist knows that the only way out of the pit is to seek the Lord and to experience his grace anew. 
The manner in which our text translates the second part of the refrain of Psalms 42 and 43 is not as literal as it could be. The Hebrew reads, Wait on God, for I will yet praise Him for the salvation that comes from His face. What's noteworthy about this more literal translation is that it refers to God's face. The psalmist has been feeling cut off from God, far removed from Him. But he exhorts himself to wait for God, for Him to show His face. For when God's face shines upon us, we will indeed experience His saving help. And that's why the psalmist is downcast, he does not completely give up. Though despairing, it does not altogether lose hope. He knows that while he keeps the focus on himself and all his problems, he'll stay down in the doldrums. And so he directs his eyes heavenward. Put your hope in God, the living God. Seek your comfort and your strength in him. Wait for his deliverance. The Lord will be gracious His strong arm will be extended. He will provide His aid and protection in times when we least expect it. The psalmist, while the psalmist encourages himself to wait for God and His saving help, he again comes under attack. He says, my soul is cast down within me. But he doesn't give up. He continues saying, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Miser. Even though he's far removed from Jerusalem, removed from the promised land, yet he brings God to remembrance. The psalmist confesses, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Even though the psalmist cannot come and appear before God in the temple on Mount Zion, it doesn't mean that his relationship with God is completely cut off. During the day, he ponders on the steadfast love of the Lord. And at night, the songs of salvation rise up in his heart as he prays to God. By his word and spirit, God continues to show forth his mercy and grace to this child of his. Same is true in our lives. Our outward circumstances in life can have a profound effect on our communion with God. When we undergo adversity and experience sorrows, it's natural for our soul to be downcast, for our spirit to be troubled within us. We may experience a time of spiritual dryness when it seems like God is so far removed from us. Even the Lord Jesus, God's beloved Son, Experience that. In John 12, 27, Jesus confessed how his heart was troubled because of the suffering that lay ahead. He said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. In Mark 14, 34, while at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus confessed, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus struggled deeply, 
because he knew he had to drink from the cup of suffering to bear God's wrath against all our sins. His soul was disturbed within him, for he knew he would be forsaken by God his Father. Jesus went through that for our sake. He suffered and died to pay the price for our sins, to restore us to fellowship with God. His purpose in coming to earth was to provide for our thirsty souls. This becomes clear from Jesus' dealings with the Samaritan woman at the well near Sychar. Jesus tells her that he has the ability to give her living water. He explains that whoever drinks of the well water will become thirsty again, but that whoever drinks of the water that he gives will never thirst. Here the Lord Jesus makes it clear that it's only in him that our inner longings and desires can be fulfilled. You see, beloved, life without Jesus is empty. It's true that as idol-creating factories, our hearts are able to manufacture all kinds of other things to keep us busy with, to find satisfaction in. We can get super busy in our families, at work, in pursuing leisure and recreation. We can spend time on social media or browsing the web. It's easy to be distracted from what's most important in life. We turn up the music or watch TV and so fill in the quiet times in life. And yet, it's difficult to silence completely that quiet voice inside that asks, what's life really all about? Deep within man, there will always be a searching for the meaning of life. There's a longing of our souls for something more. Without Jesus, there's a void in man that's never properly filled. What we need to recognize is that the cause of our eternal hunger and misery is sin. Our hearts can never be fully satisfied with anything this world has to offer. There's only one who can feed our hungry and thirsty souls, our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord made this clear in John 6, verse 35. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. When our soul is downcast, when we go through times of spiritual dryness, we need to refocus on Christ our Savior. A big part of the psalmist's problem was that he was unable to go with God's people to worship in the temple again. And beloved, that's a struggle for us too in these days when we're dealing with COVID-19. It hurts us not to be able to come and appear before God. It grieves us not to be able to gather together in communal worship and to enjoy fellowship together. And yet, in some ways, this is good for us. It helps us not to take for granted the ability to gather in public worship. It helps us to long for the future, for the time when we'll be gathered together with all the saints in heaven and on earth, praising and glorifying God in glory forevermore. 
Beloved, is your soul thirsty? Are you like a deer longing for streams of flowing water? In John 7, Christ said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Christ calls us to come to him, to receive the living water that refreshes unto eternal life. In Revelation 22:17, that call is repeated. Let him who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Christ alone can quench the deep longing of our souls. Let us learn to put our hope in our gracious Savior. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 42, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 5.